0: welcome to the unstoppable podcast we are here with a special guest today Uh, he's been on the show before his name's eli crane and you are going to be inspired by him let me tell you a little bit about him if you're not familiar he is a man of faith a husband a father and a veteran he's also an entrepreneur one of the cool things i I think that i love most about you is you joined the navy the week after 9 11 and you spent eight years as a navy seal Uh, i know that you spent a number of deployments overseas, specifically in Iraq, and uh, after five deployments, I know that you made a change in direction. I know that you and your wife are uh, had a lot of success on Shark Tank. You got a, a deal with Mark Cuban and Kevin O'Leary uh, okay. with the company Bottle Breacher, which is one of my favorite brands. I know that you're also part of the Sig Sauer firearms family, uh, and most importantly, most recently, you've decided to run for U.S. Congress in your home state of Arizona. Eli, welcome back to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate it. You know, the reason that this segment is so important, we'll get right into it, is because we're just coming off another one of the tragic school shootings in Uvalde, Texas. And the president's spokesperson just said that the president is not interested in hardening our schools, which uh, stuck out when I heard that. It's not a priority. That gun laws are his priority. What is the difference, Eli, between a hard and soft target, and why is that statement so important?
1: Well, it's important because, and this is going to sound like I'm just trying to bag on the president, but um, this isn't the first issue where it clearly shows that this administration is not interested in looking at the real issue. They're not interested in what's going on at the border, they're not interested in going down there. They're not interested in the opioids or fentanyl that's mm-hmm. coming over that southern border that's the leading killer in you know uh, adults 18 to f- I think forty five. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not interested in any of that. They're not interested in uh, making our lives easier when it comes to what's going on at the you know with energy, at the gas pump. You know they're not going to reopen the Keystone XL pipeline and, and that right there you know, alone could change things really quickly for the American pocketbook. And Mm -hmm. so this to me is just an extension of this administration's failure to look at the root issue of any of these major problems that we're facing as a people. And um, I I like to call it the cul-de-sac of stupidity because this is what we this is what we do every time there's a school shooting. You know, we, we, we focus the focus always goes to guns, guns, gun control. You know, this, that, and the other thing. And what people have to understand is, first, you have the constitutional side of it. Right. Mm -hmm. We have a Second Amendment that guarantees us our unalienable or God-given rights to bear and keep arms. Um, And then you have the fact that there's more guns in this country than there are people. So even if you were able to pass an extended background check, which is what they're looking at now, or some of the high-capacity magazine stuff that they're looking at now, in most cases, it's not going to keep any of these kids safe. OK, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you, you have to look at this pragmatically and I look at it and, uh, you know, you, you talked about soft targets, hard targets. I, I was in a profession for, you know, several years where this is how we looked at everything. It, is this target that we're going to go hit? Is it soft or is it hard?
0: Mm.
1: You know, um, what makes it hard? What makes it soft? So what gear do we need to bring? What what does our strategy need to be if we're going to go hit this target and assault this target? And that's how you have to look at these these schools as well, because that's how these madmen and these psychos um, that are coming in and killing these kids. That's how they, exactly how they look at these targets. And exactly. so let's put let's shelve the gun thing for a second and let's let's look at the fact. And I'm talking to parents here. Yes. Because there's this disconnect between academia. The president of your school, the uh, superintendent of your school, um, and securing your school because mm. these guys and, and you know, there's no. I'm not trying to throw shade at them at all because yeah. they don't right. grow up that they, they're not trained in academia to look at soft and hard targets. It's not right. what they do. Right. They're they're learning Shakespeare and you know um, you know history and math and English and and you know. All of these things that it takes to make a nurturing, protective, you know, environment for our kids to grow up and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they they tend to have this idea that, well, the police are going to take care of this issue. And if you look at police response, even in good neighborhoods, it's usually around three minutes. And so I'm asking yeah. parents, how much time do you think one of these um, – one of these individuals can come into your, what do you think they can do in three minutes in a good neighborhood? What do you think that they can do in a a regular neighborhood where the response time is seven minutes? Mm. And even in places like Texas where, um, you saw police there and even in Florida, we've seen, you know, resource guards that, you know, didn't necessarily do what they were supposed to do. Um, the only, in my opinion, Jimmy, the only way that we change this and keep our kids safer is for parents to get involved and to demand the safety of their kids by hardening the soft targets that our kids go to school in. And Jimmy, I actually yeah. had this experience in um, in Arizona when I moved when I left the Navy and came out here um, and enrolled my kids in a, a school. And I did a tour of the school, and I realized that not only was there not My kids started in a public school here. Then they went to a private school here. And the public school at the time had better security than the private school because at least the public school had a resource officer there.
0: Mm.
1: And most of us that understand defense know that usually the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. That's right. And I'm not talking about ideals here. I'm not talking about – you know mom, dad, if that, I'm not talking about if that makes you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause we're well past comfortable here.
0: Yeah. It's just um, a reality, right? I mean, it's the
1: reality of the situation. And so, um, you know, but then when we moved our kids to this private school mm-hmm. and it was phenomenal academically, mm-hmm. but as far as security wise, it was a very soft target. And so I voiced some concerns and then I set up a time where I could go and talk to, um, the superintendent very nice man, um, man I have a lot of respect for. Um, and was doing a great job in, in with with educating the the children at this school, but there, this there was ma- a massive disconnect. Yeah. What I'm talking about, and I told him I said, "Sir, I think it's great that you guys are doing a great job of educating our kids, but if you can't keep them safe, it doesn't matter."
0: That's and right. I said,
1: "This is an extremely soft target." I said, "There's mul- multiple holes in the perimeter." Okay. Mm -hmm. You don't have a resource officer. You don't have an off duty sheriff. Um, and, and then I went into some of the other things, Mm -hmm. you know, even, even in, in their perimeter, they had trees and branches that just hung over the walls. So it basically made a bridge for somebody to just come over, come over the walls. And I asked what their plan was and it it was just completely unsatisfactory. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be what, what it, is on average because i've done gone and done other threat assessments at schools and most of these individuals god bless them they have no idea what makes a a soft target hard and so that's the only thing that's going to stop this and so i i do have a list jimmy for the the people that listen to your show yeah the parents um these are some of the things that they can go and look at if they want to you know um if they want to assess the uh the hardness or the softness of their kids' school.
0: Well, let me, before you do that, before you do that, because I want to make, I want to focus in on that. I think one of the things that you mentioned was, one of the compelling things is that you took action right away. You discovered that this new school, it looked vulnerable. And I think that's the point, right? Are the kids in an environment that's vulnerable? Uh, My wife and I, so we homeschooled. We put our kids in private school with security uh, we've put our kids in public school, so we've experienced all three of those as well. And you know, the, the variety uh, of, um, the levels of security vary depending upon someone's awareness of it. And as you said, you know, the public school was more secure than the private. Our private school had, had one entrance in, it had a gate uh, that was, interestingly enough, very rarely manned. Uh, so it, it, although we had a gate, you could get through it. And then there were a whole host of other entry points into each of the schools in hindsight. Now looking back at it, um, you know, this idea that we can post a sign that says gun-free zone. (laughs) The gun-free zone sign makes that a target, doesn't it? Doesn't it make it softer? You're advertising that no one on this campus is going to meet you with force if you intend harm to our students.
1: 100%, Jimmy. And this goes back to looking at Every, 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 uh, facility, you, yeah. you almost have to put your, your mindset in, in the mindset of the wolf or the mm-hmm. perpetrator or the, 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 person that's going there to do harm to people. Yeah. And you have to think to yourself, okay, if I was, if I wanted to do harm to this facility or to people within it, how would I do it? What would yeah. make it easier for me? And like, I would, I would want, if I was going to be in that spot, I wouldn't want anybody to be armed. I would want my job, you know, I would yeah. want my progress to be as unimpeded as possible. And so yeah. it, it, it blows my mind that people still think that that putting those signs up is uh, really helpful because it's, it's really not. It actually does the opposite in
0: many ways. I mean, think about this, right? At my home, I advertise that I have security. Yep. If you have a canine, you advertise that you have a dog. I mean, yeah. you want someone to see that and think, oh, I don't want any part of that. And, you know, most people don't want any part of a dog. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. I just yep. met with the canine group here in, in Colorado, and there's not a single person that's not afraid of that type of dog. Uh, yep. But it's interesting. One of the things that I think is most compelling about the way you approach this is you talk about the root causes. So before we get into the threat assessment, and then what I, I'm going to ask you specifically what you would do. Uh, before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the causes. Is there a pro- I hate to say this word because it's become so demonized, but is there a profile of the type of person who typically commits these attacks? And what are some of the root causes surrounding uh, what would make someone do this type of thing?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm definitely not an expert on um, you know the profile of these individuals. I, I know. A lot of what many people do as far as you typically they're young males but one of the things that um, I do know from my own research um, and from the research of others is that one of the biggest one of the biggest uh, indicators and even uh, um, data points that most of these individuals share that is so sad to me it's not being talked about Is between 75 and 90% of them are fatherless. Hmm. To me when I learned that I was like, "Oh my god, that's like the, to me that's the smoking gun." Nobody's talking about that. If we were talking about that, it would change I think it would change the way we look at young men in hmm. in the fact of oh my goodness. He, hey, where's your son at? Where's your nephew at? Where's your grandson at? Is anybody loving on him? Is anybody spending time with him? Is anybody uh, a sounding board for him? Mm. Is anybody watching what he's doing, who he's talking to, what he's spending his time doing? And, you know, I think that if more people understood that that's one of the, you know, biggest connectors that Mm. most of these young men have, um, I think it would change a lot because I think there'd be a lot more oversight from the community and the family on these young men. And uh, most of them, Jimmy, um, you know, they're, they're hurting young men. They're hurting young men. nobody's really shown them the ropes they're fatherless nobody's initiated them into masculinity Mm. and so often you know they get screwed up oftentimes they're addict you know addicted to something yeah um and they end up going and you know doing something completely stupid to prove to the rest of the world that yeah i am i am a man i have what it takes listen to me look at me pay attention to me and it's 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 pretty sick and pretty demented but if they were getting the that love, mm-hmm. that protection, that feedback, that discipline mm. from somebody and typically a man within their, you know, within their circle of influence uh, that has the potential to stop a lot of this right there.
0: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I think that's a, a kind of a wake up call for some of us who maybe are do have families that are intact. We have families with, with a strong male presence, but there are many, many families around us that don't have that. And there's ways that we can step in either as a coach of, of uh, their sports teams. Uh, it's engaging with your neighbors, engaging with your extended family that may not be in the same situation. And I often think that a lot of our moms are are just absolute heroes. Their, their effort when they don't have the husband in the home, the father in the home, what they have to do to wear both of those hats and provide for the family is absolutely heroic. So we can step in, I think, when we see these vulnerable kids and say, hey, could I be a positive influence in this young man's life? Can I, can I engage in that way?
1: Yeah. And, Jimmy, I think it's important to say something here when you kind of delve into this issue a little bit more. When you talk about, you know, the, these moms and, you know, everything that they're doing. And God bless them. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, my goodness. When I, I, I travel a lot. I did in the military I'm traveling a lot now. And when I look at what my wife has to deal with when I'm not around and when I look at other single moms in my community, my hat just goes off, comes off to them. And I'm so proud of what what they do and how hard they work. But this is something that's very important. Um, John Eldridge writes a book called um, Wild at Heart. And one of the things that he talks about in his book is masculine. He talks a lot about masculinity and it's, and I've seen this in my own life. I think it's very important that we acknowledge that masculinity, um, can only be initiated by masculinity. Okay. Mm -hmm. What that means is the final touches that need to be put on a man can only come from another man. And I know that that's not going to be popular in this culture where we don't even know what a man is anymore. Um, because we're not biologists. Um, you know, but the, the, the truth of the matter is and this is one of the reasons that actually I was off. funny
0: that that actually right. i know.
1: <laughs> right this is one of the reasons i went off to the seal teams is because every every young man's number one question in life is do i have what it takes mm-hmm. do i have what it takes to be a doctor do i have what it takes to be a navy seal do i have what it takes to be a father do i have what it takes you know to uh, be respected and on mm-hmm. and on and on yes. and th- those that initiation and it, it's been this way throughout culture, mm. you know, for for a long time. Where the older men in the tribe will often take, you know, the younger up and coming men off on some type of uh, journey or hunt or whatever it is as the the culmination of their their masculine journey and to welcome them into manhood. Yeah. And when we don't understand that, and we have a society and a culture that's so wayward that we we struggle with what's even what's a man can a man have a baby. Right. Stuff like that. This is one of the byproducts of that. And so I'm not trying to be abrasive. I'm not trying to be harsh. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help people understand if there is a young man in your, you know, in your influence, in your circle, that's not being initiated, that's not being loved on, that's not being discipled, that's not being protective, that's not being shown the ropes. This is how you become a man. These are the things that it takes. It takes protection, it takes discipline, it takes hard work, and it takes a lot of sacrifice. Um, yes. This is the type of thing you're going to continue to continue to see.
0: I think you're and right. And it's sad that it's a reality. I think you're right. We've, so, you know, we've created terms that, that didn't exist before, like toxic masculinity, which in essence, although there, although there are people that, that are toxic, uh, there yeah. are people that take things too far, that think that being a man is to be dominant. To be, you know, and to be intimidating and all the rest of the garbage that they associated with it. But the unintended consequence of that is that now we treat all men as though they're toxically masculine. And, you know, there's three pieces of that. You touched on them. There's three pieces on that for me that a man is responsible, a man is accountable, and a man is capable. And the only way, and you said it, the only way for a young man to be affirmed in these areas is to be affirmed by another man who is responsible, accountable, and capable. Yeah. And, and I think you're at the root of it. And I think there's, a, there's even a bigger root beneath all of that, which is, is the need for God, the need for a strong faith, the need for the, the values and the virtues that get passed through that faith uh, tradition, you know, that, that relationship with God is so important, and we've kind of stripped that out, and now we just make fun of it, and I think we've got to get back to restoring that foundation in God, in Christ.
1: I couldn't agree more, um, and, and, you know, that, that's that been one of the things in my own journey and my own walk is, you know, because every single one of us, you know, especially as a young man coming up, every single one of us is, has those same questions, and we're trying to get those answers, and typically, we're trying to get those answers from other men or masculinity. Yeah. And if we're being honest, even the people that we look up to, that we respect, our mentors, even our fathers or our grandfathers, they're mm-hmm. flawed yeah. as well. They're flawed just like we are. Yeah. And that's one of the greatest things about having a relationship with God, is that you know you can get that dis- you can get a lot of discipleship. Um, mm-hmm. From some you know somebody that's not flawed hmm. um, and, and so you're right I think that you know so much of uh, what's gone wayward and wrong with this culture is that we've rejected God we've pushed him out of everything yes. Um and the, you know that goes back to one of my favorite scriptures that says um, you know draw closer to me and I will draw closer to you well what's hmm. the opposite of that Jimmy yeah when you push God out of everything I believe often he steps back and says okay Yes. Do your thing. And uh, I think often you get a hand of protection taken off you. I think often you his favor is removed from you. Mm. I think that is, you know, something that is going on in this country right now. And it's it's very sad to see. But that doesn't mean that we can't um, that doesn't mean that we can't do a better job of loving on the young men in our community. It doesn't mean that we can't take some of these soft targets and harden them up. That's right. And um, yeah, if you if you've got time, I'd like to go into some things that parents can look for.
0: Yeah, let's do it. And you know, one of the things that you mentioned is, you know, as a man of faith, as someone who has um, experienced freedom in Christ, you know, uh, saved by grace through faith in Christ, um, it's about it's not about perfection. It's about a change in direction. And I experienced that in my life. My faith walk. It wasn't about that. All of a sudden, I'm perfect and I'm going to get it all right. But instead. Right. It was a change in direction and a change in desire. So now I realize as, a, as someone who, uh, who loves God, I want to show that. I want to demonstrate that. I want to please God in the way I live. And I want to serve and bless others. And so it is a change of heart. It's a change of direction. And I think that's what we need. And um, so thank you for bringing that topic up. And let's get into that threat assessment. So we've talked about how the fact that many of our schools are soft targets, meaning they're vulnerable, meaning they've got... A ways to go to start um, improving the security and safety of the kids they're soft what when you talk about going into a school because i'm going to ask parents to take this list with them to the school board meeting and ask their school districts to do this assessment give us a rundown on some of those elements for the threat assessment of the school
1: yeah absolutely so i you know i've written articles on this before because i wanted to get it out to people so that they understood parents understood because it is Unfortunately, it is going to take activism, um, you know, from the parents to ensure that, you know, not only their kids not being taught critical race theory and other things, but that your kids are safe and they're protected in a a hard target. Mm. Um, And I'm sorry that it has to be that way. I don't like the fact that it is that way. And I know that parents don't either. Parents are thinking, oh, my God, there's one more thing that I've got to worry about. One more thing that I've got to fight for. I get it. But these are the things that you need to look for when you go to your kid's school. One, is there a plan for an active shooter, okay? Mm. I I remember going to doing a threat assessment for my kid, one of my uh, buddy's kid's school up in Phoenix. And it Mm. was ironic, Jimmy, because on the outside of the school, they had their, um, you know, the A-plus sign on the outside. Hey, this is an A-plus school. Well, when I was done with the threat assessment and the principal walked me around the school It was an A-plus school with a D-minus security system. And guess what? When I asked the principal of that school, who was a very uh, professional, loving, Mm. you know, individual, when I asked him, sir, do you have a plan for an active shooter, guess what he said, Jimmy? No. No They don't. He didn't. And this was after some of the the most massive school shootings that we had in this country, which is why my friend asked me to come do a threat assessment. And so there's a lot of parents out there that think, oh, the professionals at my school they've got it they're on top of everything there's yeah. they're, and they are they're professional people they're squared away i'm not saying that they're not yes. all i'm saying is they've never been trained to think in terms of this and so they have mm. we, we tend to avoid what we're not comfortable with or what we don't understand and so there's t- often there's not even going to be a plan at your kid's school for an active shooter mm. number two is there an armed guard or a school resource officer like i said to, and this would this would be one of my top ones because unfortunately often the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Mm-hmm. And real security, Jimmy, whether we're at the border, um, whether we're in Iraq mm-hmm. or if we're at our kids' school, real security is overlapping deterrence okay mm-hmm. And it, that means it's not just a perimeter or a fence, yeah. it's multiple things then it's a resource officer. Um, oftentimes, if uh, and we'll get into this one in a second, but oftentimes, if you form a good relationship with the local police department mm. um, and they know that you your school welcomes them, oftentimes when they they're writing their reports, sometimes they'll come actually park their squad car at your school while they write yeah. their reports and do their admin. What do you think yeah. that looks like to somebody that's getting ready to come shoot up your kid's school?
0: Yeah, it's it so great. Doesn't you said
1: look that. inviting. It's it looks so right like,
0: Yeah, yeah. You're it making it like, obvious.
1: I'm, it looks like, hey, I'm not going to get my 15 minutes of fame. I'm going to be stopped before I even get through the parking lot.
0: Yes. Okay, and I was so, just talking to the police here in northern Colorado, and they said this. They said it, the exact same thing. Hey, we have yep. relationships with these schools. We'll go and we'll do paperwork on their campuses as an yep. obvious deterrent. I love it.
1: Yep. So overlapping deterrence. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now number three, is there a solid perimeter wall? or fence around the school. I when I was growing up, most of our schools were called open campuses. Okay. They didn't have fence or walls or we didn't really have the same problem that we have now. But you're starting to you're starting to see schools scramble to make that transition because if you don't have a fence, a wall or a perimeter around any facility, you're just inviting people that are willing to do this type of madness to just walk right in and yeah. and start doing what they want to do. So that's very important. I actually did a walk around, Jimmy, with mm-hmm. with uh, the the uh, administration um, of of my kid's school, and I, sh- you know, we we did a walk around of the entire perimeter to look for holes and and even um, you know places that you know could be easily breached. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. um, number four, are there? And this is a big one. Are there any trauma bags or mm-hmm. life saving gear on campus? Do the teachers or administrators have any? Um, you know, medical training. Okay. Because oftentimes, and we've seen this over and over again, even if the police show up quickly, yeah. oftentimes because these departments haven't changed their methodology or their, um, their SOPs, they'll, they'll be sitting outside in the parking lot with the parents before mm-hmm. they get the ability to go in and deal with the problem. Yeah. And so if teachers, faculty, and staff, have trauma bags strategically placed throughout the school and we're not talking about you know millions of dollars here we're usually talking about thousands of dollars of investment Mm -hmm. which i think most parents would even chip in for to make sure that there were was life-saving equipment at the kids schools Um, and then Mm -hmm. teachers who actually had you know uh, some trauma training that could go uh, help save the lives of kids until the paramedics or you know mm. the professionals arrived on scene that's a huge one right there you could save a lot of lives just with that yeah. ab- ability right there and the reason i say strategically placed jimmy is because if you only have one trauma bag or medical kit and the shooter happens to be on the on the grounds next to or in the vicinity of that trauma bag mm. none of the faculty staff or teachers are going to go near that area so that's why it, that you need to have gear that's spread out north, right. south, east, west. That that type of thinking, okay. Hmm. Um, next, um, do entrances have metal detectors or security controls? Hmm. You know, that, that's a, that's a big one. Um, do people have to sign in? Do they have, you know, before they walk on the campus? Wh- what's the uh, protocol look like? That's something to hmm. take a look at. You don't want to make it just easy for people to walk on to you know your kids' campus. Yep. Um, is there a monitored camera system on the campus and its surroundings? That's a big one too. Um, you know oftentimes if you have a monitored camera system and somebody that's actually watching it, sometimes you can see these threats approaching before they're even on campus doing what doing what they want to do. Mm. And furthermore Jimmy, if you do have this system and somebody watching, um, then that person can be talking with the police when they're waiting in the parking lot. To make entry and go stop the threat and signaling and directing them to where the threat is. Mm. All right, and oh. it also helps in, in the investigation after the fact if you have the, these security systems and you can go through and watch tape mm. and, and watch what uh, unfolded because a lot of the time law enforcement, as they as some of these threats evolve in our culture and society, they're they're adapting with their training mm. and even how they. Um, how they deal with these types of situation by looking at data from the past.
0: You know, real quick, quick, that is such a big point because the police here said that they will utilize specific schools for training, active shooter training. They'll come in and they familiarize themselves with those schools, pretty wild.
1: Yep, and that's my number. I'll just go real quick to number 10. Is there a personal relationship with local police departments Mm -hmm. and officers for the reasons that you just mentioned And what we talked about with with deterrence, because, Jimmy, if if they've if the police have already been to your kid's school and the faculty and the staff has allowed them to train there, like on a weekend or something like that, then they already know the they they already know the layout of the school. So they're not guessing, hey, what does this room lead to? Um, Mm -hmm. And they know all the hiding places as well. Yeah. So let me go back up to number seven, do classrooms have sufficient locking mechanisms? Can windows be quickly blacked out to prevent classroom visibility? This one is important, Jimmy most most people don't understand this that don't have um, a background in uh, maybe military or law enforcement. The, the sad fact of the matter is is you know most of these uh, classrooms have locking mechanisms. That's great, but here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that bullets, most often will cut right through a wall like Mm. a hot you know hot knife through butter, okay? Unless it hits a stud or something. And even then it'll go through bullets will typically go through wood as well. And so why is that important that you have a shade or something that can black out the window? Mm. Well think about it. If, If if there's an active shooter on campus and you just lock the kids in the classroom, basically you just put the fish in a barrel. If there's windows and the active shooter can see through the windows and see where the kids, oh, they're located in the southern southeastern corner over there. All I need to do is point my muzzle in that direction and just start shooting. Wow. Typically, it, it, the wall isn't going to offer your, kid, your children much mm. safety. And wow. so if, you, if you're able to black out the windows, now the shooter doesn't even know if there's kids in there. So maybe he will just keep on going so that's something that i hate to point out but it is something you have to think about because of the reality of weaponry and Mm. and physics okay yeah um number eight are there any types of security drills being run at the school are is there a code word is there an alarm system where kids know hey there there is we're there's an active shooting drill going on this is what we do and it's not just complete chaos. There's actually a plan and drills being run so that everybody knows what's going on. Mm. Okay, uh, number nine. This is one of the most important ones. I have friends that you know actually are professionals in these fields, mm. and they'll tell me, Eli, typically the number one thing that stops us from securing um, these schools, even when even when staff and faculty bring us in, is this: our decision makers and top level school. Officials open to assessment and allocating funding for improvement. Man. The funding is a big one. You know, even if like you're going to try and get a, a resource officer or security officer or off-duty sheriff, often you're looking. Be- you can be looking between 75000 dollars annually. That that money we all know is just not going to come out of thin yeah. air. Yeah. And so, and then when you start looking at building a perimeter, security cameras, etc it takes, it takes investment. Mm. And this is one thing that I've been really surprised. Like I've actually got in conversations with parents in the past who are, you know, more interested in whether or not, you know, the track has a new surface on it. And I'm thinking to myself, how are you putting that above prioritizing that above your kid's safety?
0: A great and so point. it is a
1: conversation that we need to have and mm. decision makers um, need to be willing and creative enough to go out and acquire the funding so that we can make these uh, soft targets, hard targets. Mm. Um, and then we already went, th- went over 10. I'll just go to 11. Are there backup communication equipment or plans in case primary communications are down? Mm. And I say that because, you know, it, it is possible at times to, for somebody that really knows what they're doing, to cut, um, you know, cut communications, cut a hard line. Thankfully, we live in a generation of cell phones. Um, sometimes we have you, your janitorial staff or your security staff will have um, you know backup comms, radios, walkie-talkies, et cetera, but those are important as well. Mm. Um, and And so those are some of the things that you yeah. know parents can be looking for. Obviously, there's some that are more important than others. Um if I could only pick one as yeah. a concerned parent, it would absolutely be the resource officer or the security officer. And oftentimes most parents understand now how big of a deal this is. You know, it's even possible for you to say you to go to your president of your school or the superintendent mm-hmm. and say, Look, we as the parents will chip in a thousand bucks a person. I know we yeah. can get, you know, seventy-five parents to pitch in so that we can have a a resource officer, somebody here that's armed that's willing to protect our kids mm-hmm. until the cavalry arrives. And so yeah. I know that's a lot. Yeah, uh, Jimmy. But a lot of this comes down to education and whether or not we know what's going on, understand the state that our school is in. Mm-hmm. Are are our kids safe? Do they have a chance yeah. um, at being protected? If you know somebody yeah. comes to our school with the intention to do our kids harm.
0: Yeah. It, well, this list is so helpful and. I know, you know, on this list, there's six or seven things that most of us are never thinking about. So you're giving us insight and tools and resources necessary. So let me ask you, I'll, I'll do a little rapid round. We'll do real fast uh, questions. Would you, uh, would you use a canine? Would you use somebody, uh, somebody that's there that's armed with a canine?
1: You know, it, it depends. Um, sometimes those types of dogs, uh, because of how they're trained, um, and I've been around plenty of them. We used to yeah. used to have them all the time with us in special operations. They, they they're great dogs, but oftentimes uh, they they can be a little bit more temperamental than mm-hmm. your average puppy or dog, especially when they're around kids that just they yeah. see a dog they want to pet the dog. So that can that can raise you know that can, that can yeah. cause some of its own issues. I think if the dog was acclimated to uh, being in an environment with younger kids that were always wanted to pet the dog, maybe. But I I would just see that, I would just see some of the problems and some of the... uh, um,
0: Yeah, there's risks, right?
1: It could arise with, you know, a kid trying to pet the dog and the dog, you know, snapping at the kid or biting the kid or something like that. So if you have, you know, if you have a... I I think it's great when the teams that come in, Mm. um, you know, have a dog with them because... Oftentimes, um, you can release the dog and not put the officers in, uh, in jeopardy,
0: mm.
1: but it's, you know, yeah, it would be all, of, I think it would be based on the dog and its training.
0: Yeah. So there's some risk to that. I get that. Is, um, would you, how do you feel about arming select teachers or people? I think it's a great idea,
1: but I do think they need to be trained.
0: Um, and how much I do training think they, would you require
1: um, you know, I, I would, you know, this, this again, isn't my area of expertise. I, I don't know what's, what the state protocols are. Um, you know, I think that getting them with, um, local law enforcement would probably, probably be the best, um, you know, way to make sure that you're protected from an insurance standpoint, um, and you're protected from a, um, you know, just local governmental, um, uh, standpoint as well. Yep. You know, I, I would, rec- I could recommend what I think would, you know, the type of training I think would be good for them. But I also understand that there's a lay layer of, um, liability involved in that yep. as well. That I, that is not up my alley of expertise at all. Yeah.
0: One thing for sure is you probably wouldn't let everyone know who those people are, I'm guessing to because Absol- then they'll become yeah. targets, right?
1: No, abs- absolutely. Absolutely
0: so thank you for this eli this has been a a tremendous opportunity to really bring uh, our parents up to speed every single parent that i talk to is nervous uh they want to take action they want to be empowered and we're going to give them this list of of things to ask that you've given us today we're going to have a resource a free resource so that when they go to our website they'll be able to sign up and uh and receive an email with that resource and what we're going to ask them to do is engage with their local school administrators and officials and board members to really make a difference.
1: You know, and I, one thing I do want to point out, Jimmy, and thank you for the opportunity, is this is not an exhaustive list. There yeah. are many other things. You know, some of these uh, some of these companies make these backpacks, you know, that have, uh, uh, you know, Kevlar inside, which can be you know bulletproof depending on mm. the caliber of weapon. You know, having having your kid have a backpack like that that they could go grab in a situation like that and hold in front of you know their torso, um, you know, in a classroom, that's not a bad idea at all. Mm. Um, You know, and there's a bunch of other ideas. This isn't an exhaustive list, but at least it gets parents thinking about: okay, is this a soft target? Is it a hard target? What type of chance do my kids have if we are unfortunate enough to be targeted by one of these? Um, very mentally ill individuals.
0: Yeah, this is a super great starting point. And, and what we want to do is open up the conversation. We want to we get parents enough knowledge to open up this conversation. And uh, that's why we lean on you. We lean on guys like you because you've been there. You have a, a very unique way of looking at things. You've got a lot of experience and we're capitalizing on that. So I thank you for that, my friend.
1: Thank you, Jimmy. I appreciate the time, brother.
0: You bet. God bless you. You too, man.